Welcome to Unheard's latest podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, editor of Unheard, and um, I'm not joined by Aisha Hasarika uh, this week, um, but I am joined by Douglas Murray, um, one of our regular columnists who writes every um, Friday, um, has an award, a best-selling book out on... How, how, how many times is it? How many weeks now, Douglas, has it been at the top of the... Bestsellers. Very kind of you to ask. Uh, <laughs> Easy very, question to begin with. Very thoughtful of you to ask. Um, almost 20 weeks. I think it was 19 weeks in the top 10 in the UK. And uh, I was very pleased recently the, the publishers, Bloomsbury, released their quarterly reports and said that my book and Harry Potter had uh, meant that they had an unusual record sales <laughs> this quarter. And I had to say, I was, in publishing terms, it doesn't really matter what happens so long as you're with Harry Potter. <laughs> You and uh, J.K. Rowling make slightly unusual... Um, unusual bedfellows. <laughs> and um, also, you've been jet-setting quite a bit, I think, partly yes. because of the book, but also you've been making an audio documentary for Unheard, which people That's better right. listen to in the next uh, week or two. T- tell us a little bit about what people might expect um, from that. That's right. It's, um, it's on the... What, I suppose what we remember or fail to remember now about the communist terror of the 20th century. It's uh, a good time to look into this subject for all sorts of reasons. Um, one of them, as uh, Sean Glenn, my colleague on this, and, and I found out last week in Hungary where we were doing interviews, is of course that some of the, some of the voices are still there who will sadly die out quite soon. Mm. And to have the privilege of hearing from people firsthand, uh, to talking about events which seem, I, I mean, seem generations ago, uh, is an extremely haunting and, and, and humbling experience. Mm. And obviously, and rightly, the world remembers the Holocaust um, in, in schools, in exhibitions, in, in film, um, but, and I, I would argue, I don't know whether you would agree, I, I, I think the Holocaust was a unique event in history, the mm. industrialised nature of the extermination that Nazi Germany undertook um, was unique. But if you, if you add up in a very crude way the number of people who died under communism, mm. it's a much greater number. And yes. yet in schools, um, in art, um, in, in history... Um, the gulag is not on the same no. um, level at all, and I, I don't want to you just say too much of what you're going to say in your in your documentary. But the argument is partly to try and understand why that is. Yes, yes, and I mean, I agree with you. I mean, the, the and you have to be careful, of course, not to sound like a statistician when you talk about this. You know, it's not a numbers competition, but what you always come to when dealing with that central issue is that you never find anyone who will say, you know, the thing about fascism was it had its good points, but the Nazis went a bit too far. Whereas <laughs> you don't have to walk any distance anywhere in the mm. world today to find people willing to say, you know, well, it started off good. You know, Lenin, Lenin meant well. And then and it Lenin all, was basically a good guy. It was Stalin, yeah, and all, which all went wrong. Or, sort of thing. you know, early Stalin was good, middle period, bad, mm. late, we can all recognise he went off the boil. Mm. 
and and this is just such a, a striking thing that, that that to my mind the basilisk remains alive precisely because we think that it wasn't rotten from the start people say that I saw this on Twitter very recently someone said well at least communism had the great goal of equality <laughs> you know so but actually for me that makes it more dangerous yes. in a sense because if people actually do feel they're motivated ultimately by yes. something good you know any means justify yes. the ends if you're creating the perfect society or, yes. or whatever uh, it, it's a great, the great Eric Hobsbawm moment the great historian who, who at the end of his life was asked by Michael Ignatieff if you know another 20 to 30 million bodies if they'd have been needed to achieve that utopia of equality would it have been worth it and of course he to his great and everlasting shame replied that yes it would have been and uh, this this isn't just an um, interpretation it seems to me it's 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 a very fundamental category error mm. um, and one which we're all living through and, and I mean not to be too dramatic about it could be made to walk through a part of again mm. And I've I've been to Budapest and the Museum of Terror, which I think I, I know you've been to as well. I think Lithuania has a, a centre for remembering the victims of communism, and as in Skopje recently, and, and their sort of museum about the national struggle has, has a little mm. bit on communism and not much, but nothing in London or Washington. Or what, what, what was your explanation for that? Because in a way, you'd think it would be a a project of a mm. of a conservative prime minister or to remember the victims of something that uh, their predecessors defined their time in Downing Street to, mm. to significant extent. Do you have an explanation? Is it, it, is it that you know, Nazi Germany doesn't exist anymore so we don't worry about offending them? Is it because mm. we're worried about offending Beijing or Moscow? Mm. Is, is there an element of that? There, or? there must be an element of that with the Chinese Communist Party which of course whatever it's become is still a communist government in, mm. in name and more. And actively still persecuting people in Hong Kong, for example. Absolutely. Not, not on the scale that we have, you've, yeah. you've been talking about. They can't get away with what they once got away with, mm. but, but, but uh, although I don't know what we'd do if they tried. Uh, the, one, um, the one thought I haven't is that the... Uh, I, I, some people say, well, why would Britain have a, a museum of communist terror? I mean, we didn't have communism. That argument, of course, falls down. Well, we didn't have fascism either. Mm -hmm. um, we're about to, in this country, whether you agree with it or not, building a, another memorial to the Holocaust just near Parliament. Uh, this is because the British government sees it uh, as being a, um, a good in itself to commemorate the, the, the Holocaust. And, and, and this is a bit which gets tricky, teach the lessons of it. I'm very wary of that, by the way. I think that means that you're likely to teach whatever lessons are convenient at that moment the zeitgeist approves of but uh, and you politicize events of history but but you know on that basis there is no reason why we shouldn't also remember another totalitarianism which fortunately we didn't in Britain suffer under um, but I think it's a whole set of things but it, it always goes back to that fundamental thing that the, 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 the number of people public figures still, politicians and others who will tell you, basically it was a good idea that just went wrong mm. and therefore we can't condemn it wholesale. And um, finally on this subject, um, who, who did you talk to? Who, who people got to look forward to 
hearing as part of your expert witnesses in this uh, documentary with Sean? All sorts of amazing uh, people, historians as well as players in history, as it were. I think the highlight was speaking to an MP now retired in his early 90s, who was the father of the House in the Hungarian Parliament, but who was himself an MP in the late 40s and early 50s and was was arrested when the communists rolled in and uh, Hmm. uh, hearing firsthand uh, what it was like for an elected member of parliament to just be marched out one day and into captivity for years was a very uh, startling experience. And uh, what people have to look forward to um, is not just your curated audio product, which is, I think, about well, like the ones we've produced before, about 30 minutes of you talking to to the experts, um, but also we will try and put a lot of the original interviews mm. online as well, so yeah. people who really have an interest in the subject can can listen to what people say um, unedited. Um, now, Douglas, I, I don't know really where to start with you because there's so many things we've talked about over the years that I'd love to share with our listeners, and um, we could talk about so many of the columns that you have written for us, and I don't know, I don't think any of us realise that when you wrote your column on Harvey Weinstein um, a couple of weeks ago that uh, it would lead to such implications for Mm. the British government, let alone um, other actors and players within the um, entertainment industry. It's extraordinary Mm. um, ramifications that that that's had. But I think it's probably your latest column maybe it'd be interesting to to focus on um, uh, today. And uh, that was uh, a column uh, we gave the headline to appreciate what the Today programme does right, watch US cable news. And both of us have spent a lot of time in America, and I spent much of last year there covering the US election when I was still at the Times. And it's one of the reasons, actually, I think Unheard came into existence. It was that there's certainly for me a need for the political establishment to recognise that. Uh, it, there was something rotten in the system to produce uh, two quite such unattractive characters as Hillary Clinton and Donald, Donald Trump as the, as, the, as, as the best of America. But I also felt there was a massive failure in the media to adequately scrutinise either um, as well. I think uh, David Frum, I think, was the first person to talk about um, a lot of cable news as being a subsidiary of the entertainment industry, that they're more interested in entertainment than education or enlightenment. And I think uh, what you did in your column was you tried to explain why you are fascinated <laughs> by, <laughs> yes. spend, I think you probably spent too long in your hotel yeah. room channel yeah. hopping from the sound of be watching Rachel Maddow and yeah. Bill Riley of, of of, of yesteryear now, um, Mr. O'Reilly, with his... Um, a pre-Weinsteinian fall. Yes, I think, it, yeah, yeah it was, maybe it was a sign of things to come. But um, it also, like you, we're both, BBC drives us mad sometimes, but I think it, it gave you, like it gave me, an appreciation for all of its faults of, of the BBC's qualities. Yes, well, I mean, um, I am, as you say, fascinated by, the, by this in America, because the... The skill, the razzmatazz, the, the intelligence, actually, of a lot of what goes on in American media is really startling. And it's at a pitch and at a fervor which is um, intoxicating. Um, 
Although well, the ads must drive you mad. Sure. Although you know, they're, they're, they're quite, ex, you know, they're, yeah. I don't know, an hour's TV, there seems to be a good quarter yes. of adverts. My favourite, my favourites of which, I'm slightly addicted to the adverts as well, I have to say. <laughs> uh, I'm a real junkie. But my favourites of which are the ones which, for a British uh, listener will know, uh, uh, tells you about a medicine that will very yeah. slightly improve your life. And then there's usually a very happy couple running along a beach hand in hand, reels off a list of the most appalling things that could happen. The possible side effects. The possible yeah. side effects. I've always been pleased with that. And then the only other one was an advert I once saw in LA for a funeral home that told you that, that you could get a loved one cremated and, and buried for uh, under $1,000, but for a limited time only. <laughs> get on with it. Uh, get on with it. Now look, Granny. <laughs> This ain't going to work if you're still here in February. <laughs> we can't take advantage of this offer. I think adverts um, tell you an awful lot about a culture, actually. Oh, absolutely. When I was um, at the Bank of England in the 1990s, it was the early years of transition. And so I travelled quite a bit to Moscow and St. Petersburg. And the adverts then were just, you know, for banks, the slogan was, for one of the banks I remember, was, for the rich. Right. <laughs> you know, there was, wow, there yes. was no subtlety yeah, yeah. or whatever. It yes. was... Uh, uh, yeah, that it, wouldn't you wouldn't get that one now. No, I don't um, think you'd get that one. Now. <laughs> no, anyway, the, um, we're, we're off the, track. But, but, but on the actual programs, the, the, the it's it's a fascinating thing. U.S. cable news and things is a really, I mean, it's very skillful. And there's all sorts of things to say for it. But I, I relate in this column that the uh, uh, recently I I, I I flipped between channels and there on one uh, was the presenter talking about the imminent impeachment and necessary trial of Hillary Clinton. And one flick of the remote button down, uh, the presenter was talking about the imminent necessary impeachment and trial of Donald Trump. And I thought, that's it, isn't it? That's, that's, that, that's the moment when you, you've dug down on both sides so deep and so far that you basically are no longer even trying to communicate with each mm. other. And like you, I have all sorts of um, moans and complaints about the BBC. It's all sorts of problems with it. It's just helped to destroy local news networks. It's always drifted towards the left on almost every issue. And there are all sorts of institutional issues. However, it is also something like a public square where we have to meet uh, as listeners and sometimes participants and meet those with whom we disagree face to face. And that that in a state or republic is 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 the aim it is meant to be that there are places which bring people together to have out those a national a national conversation yes and uh, and this is this, i mean again i i understand why a lot of people who are on the right in the uk moan about the bbc and of course now particularly since the rise of corbyn we've seen the phenomenon grow of people on the left claiming that the BBC is actually just a mouthpiece for the fascist junta May state. But, mm. you know, it, 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 if only there was a little bit of um, fascism in the May regime, it might have been a little bit more ordered, but um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that has to go in the editing. It has to. Um, the, um, but but the, the, so you do get that critique as well now. And so there are people in the BBC who take that, that, that classic line of, well, if we're being attacked from both sides, we must be doing something right which is itself an error. So it, it, often, in my experience, that often means it's just like the correspondent is being attacked by both sides because they're not really showing any real understanding of the subtleties right. of the issue. And so it always yeah. drives me mad that yeah. it, that. Also, you, could, you, you can be attacked by lunatics on each side of an issue that 
simply show that you've provoked some lunatic. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make you a wise person. No, a um, but, but, but nevertheless, all of the criticisms that one can make of the BBC, this, this, this thing of having the venue and the, and the arena for the, pub, the public square, um, you, you start to see, as I say, the more time you spend in the American media, the, the fact that there is, there is if you're patient, a, a virtue in this. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned to Anne Applebaum, someone you know and someone many listeners will have read in the Washington Post amongst other platforms. I, I talked to her about um, the, the lack of a national conversation in, in America and the specialness of the BBC. And she is, of course, steeped in Eastern and Central uh, Europe. I think she took part in your documentary, yes, actually. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, and she said, actually, it's not just America now. She said, through much of Europe now, there is a splintering mm. of conversation as well. And... Um, I've always been sort of slightly impatient with people who said, oh, you know, don't you realise how precious the BBC is? And actually it is much more special than I realise, not just us in contrast with America, but, but generally this, mm. this model and its financing model, which is potentially going to be um, out of date quite soon because of technological progress and the rise of Netflix and HBO and other subscription-based systems, which I think are producing drama of the quality at least as good as BBC far perhaps better, better. Right. yeah far yeah. better I would say yeah but which does represent a real problem for the BBC yeah, but, I mean 10, they actually have the time. budget don't they I mean yeah, these things have now the budget, have the yeah. budget the BBC could only dream of and the, the BBC with its licence fee you know being squeezed for good reasons because of austerity but whether the BBC will still be around in mm. 10 20 years is an interesting question and yes. um, who, who, who would have perhaps thought that you and I might be there at the <laughs> front of the uh, uh, protest march yes. calling for the BBC to be saved or, I, or am, am I over am, am I exaggerating your support for the institution no I, I'm ever so slightly but I suppose among other things also I, I, the BBC is going to have a great problem in the years ahead if it simply is seen to be uh, um, another media sort of monopoly which uh, is then competed against and which has to justify itself by providing things very similar to the competitors. Uh, and I, I, my own advice, I didn't get into this in the column, uh, but uh, my own advice is, is that they need to be defenders of a form of elitism. Uh, what is one of the other noticeable traits of competing cable news? It's that it has to be ever more um, engaging, ever more dumbed down, ever simpler. Uh, you, you can't risk any reference to what we used to call highbrow thought or culture you know so that's a losery thing to do you, know, you mm -hmm. feel the ratings falling off and actually if the bbc is to is to persuasively uh, uh, is to make an argument in the coming years for its own uh, continuation it is as an institution that is very happy to defend uh, you know a, a higher flown level of conversation and discussion and debate mm. than um, than rivals and th that that will be where the test is, it seems to me. Give, give, give us an example of one or two of, of a BBC um, programme that you think lives up to the standards you would of uh, that Reith would have been would have been proud of when he first uh, helped this parts, institution come into existence. Parts of Radio Four and Radio Three. Um, very Mel Melvin Bragg's um, very little. Yes, Melvin yeah. Bragg. Now yeah. you see, but very little of what's now on television. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you consider the, the, the absolute dearth of arts coverage on the BBC, 
Now, I was I was watching recently on YouTube that amazing, amazing uh, um, graveyard or or, or or regeneration machine, <laughs> uh, whatever it is. I was watching some uh, arts documentaries from the seventies and eighties, which were of just such. Uh, I mean, there of course there are elements of it that are slightly cringeworthy now and, and naff and so on. But I mean, a really serious set of efforts, for instance, to engage uh, viewers in understanding contemporary classical music. Mm. Uh, interviews with, with major, very, very difficult composers. I mean, d- composers far more difficult than you, than you than we have around today. And, you know, there is, um, you know... Th- th- These were BBC programmes yeah, uh, from the period? Or? Yes, and, oh. and their rivals, and Granada as well. And um, Well, ITV, of course, was almost unrecognisable right. you know, when, it, when it was producing programmes like World in Action and, right. and Weekend World and the South Bank show there was enormously the, the South Bank know, show was amazing program, yes and, yeah. and you felt and, and it was a guide to the culture this is yeah. you may not all care about this but if you're a sort of serious thinking person this is the sort of thing you ought to know about and mm. and, and, and so and, and then of course that tailed off and now we're in a situation where the BBC really I mean it, it, cannot, it has the proms which itself has continued to dumb down over the years mm-hmm. but it has the proms but apart from that throughout the year the BBC basically has no arts programming on the television now it created a whole channel uh, uh, BBC4 that was meant to address that but, but and I, th- I think that is, that is the single biggest failing of the BBC there's masses of news there's masses of comment there's mm. masses of documentary and so on but actually one of the things that the BBC can uniquely do is to point to the serious things in the culture the serious ideas serious arts and, and say as I say we recognise this is going to be a minority pursuit but if you're a discerning and discriminating person who, who wants to think about our time in a slightly deeper level, this is the sort of thing you should, you should be thinking or knowing about. Mm. And, uh, and the absence of that uh, seems to me to take away one of the most fundamental justifications for the licence fee being collected, is which the, is that basically it's sort of good for us. <laughs> <laughs> and what about podcasts? You, you, you podca- we're we're mm. doing a podcast here. There's... Uh, I find myself. I think I probably spend more time now listening to podcasts than watching television. Yes, well, actually, I definitely do, but quite a distance. And there, you have um, programs twenty, thirty, forty minutes long, where people are interviewed at length. Yeah, where subjects are explored at length. There was a um, documentary you may have even heard it. It would be certainly of, it'd be of interest to you. The World Service had four experts recently they've assembled to ask the question what is Iran's revolutionary guard the um, what is this um, Mm. uh, military organization that now is probably the most powerful uh, force in um, Islam in terms of uh, weapons and and, and members and tentacles certainly beyond Iran and I learned so much from it It was absolutely um, expert detailed um, stimulating yeah. program do, do you see in the, in the arts world or another the BBC is addressing no the, the, these issues there or you, not you're exactly you hit on ex- exactly the nub of what's now changing uh, uh, I do the same thing I mean I listen to podcasts I I don't want to see uh, uh, another carousel show on the BBC or, or another channel where you invite in an expert and then give them basically three 
bike to the cherry and then kick them off the set. Um, uh, and we've, we've all we've both been there. We've, yes, exactly. We've all been there. <laughs> they, they, um, uh, they ask a question and you sort of manage to answer it, but it's slightly off the thing. And then they say, "Ah, oh, but you're contradicting." And then they say, "No, no, I'm not." And, and then, then they go, oh, "Thank you very much, Simon." <laughs> and you think, "You buggers! I gave up an hour of my day, stuck in traffic, and you know, seem to get here for that two and a half minutes of unenlightenment." And and then, of course, there's the other phenomenon of of that type of uh, discussion show, which is. And I see this all the time. It's another reason I turn off. Uh, people being invited on who do not know what the hell they're talking about. I watched with great interest recently on CNN in America a discussion about uh, Britain and Brexit with a man who I knew didn't have a clue what he was talking about, <laughs> partly because nobody does, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and a presenter who also knew nothing, but were talking in these extraordinary certainties. I just thought, thought I turned over, I thought, well, none of you know what you're talking about. They've probably been reading the New York Times too much, which is coverage yes. of Brexit is absolutely appalling. Very, I'm, I'm yeah. going down a side alley. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's a bit, as I say, but the main thing is this this point that the that actually there are so many people at the moment in the arts in the sciences in physics in, in all sorts of areas who are doing amazing things and amazing discoveries and you don't want them to be invited on to mm. get two minutes and then and kick them off a lot of things particularly a lot of the changes we're undergoing at the moment in the world in our societies really require a lot of pondering yeah and a lot of deeper thought than that, and it's not a ding dong, and it's not just the carousel, and it's, and uh, and yes, I, I I think it's changing everything. I I uh, I'm also very struck by the way that um, I don't particularly either congratulate the fact or lament it, but that that increasingly people find out things this way by podcasts mm. and so on. More a friend who does a lot of podcasts said to me recently, you know, he'd worked out that. He's probably managed to reach about one and a half million people by uh, book sales, um, but reaches something like ten million every time he does a podcast. Mm. You know, uh, it, it suits our lifestyle, doesn't it? Now, when we're chopping the vegetables for supper or walking, you know, to the train station, it's just so much easier to be listening yeah. than and to it's be, more to be reading, and, and it's more nourishing. Mm. I mean, I, I think that's. I think that's what a lot of us feel. People who you know are addressing the issues that, that concern you and are chewing them over mm. give you more food for thought. And uh, I, I think it's a sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a great development mm. uh, amid all the many other things that one could lament. And your article, we must wrap up soon, but your, your, your article um, for Unheard last week you know, praise the Today program, mm. and it it is this extraordinary phenomenon, really, because I think what makes um, the podcast revolution, if you like, uh, so successful is it allows us to choose the topics that we want to spend time delving into. Mm. Um, Today is remarkable because it still has this extraordinary audience. There isn't a program like it, I think, anywhere in the world, of my knowledge, where most of the opinion formers of Britain, millions of people, still listen to the to the Tay program. And but it is serving up this diet to people that people can't narrow cast. It is still a broadcast yes. um, phenomenon. But my regret, partly about what you were just talking about, the times that we live in, is the 8 10 a.m. slot the prize slot mm. on the program it is still nearly always a politician that's that's interviewed you know yes. i'd like to hear more central bankers you know talking about um this really might be a real turn off here <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know the producer of 
um, Hollyoaks, the, you know, the influential right. Channel 4 programme among young people. I like to hear vice chancellors talking about what their universities are, yes. are pumping out. Um, it, I, I think the fundamental bias, and this is where Unheard started, the fundamental bias of, of news isn't so much to the left or to the right or to liberalism over conservatism. It is to the political over the cultural yeah. and the technological or the arts or, or the religious. It's, yes. uh, it's to the controversial over the consensual, to the, to the new over the important. I don't know whether it's asking too much of the Today programme, which clearly is successful in what it currently does, to try and address that um, the one thing it can help to try to avoid is what I call the politicization of everything mm. which is one of the most destructive things of our time it goes back to what I said at the start you know the, there's a, not only a form of politics that you imbibe but a form of history you imbibe and a form of culture you imbibe which is solely dictated by politics and that, by the way, seems to me to be why in America, but all, across all the Western democracies, there is this greater, greater and greater problem of what I call, you know, speaking about each other but not to each other. Mm. It, it, it comes about because people don't see political debate as being about politics. They see it about being totalistic. Mm. It's about absolutely everything. It's, and crucially, it's about them and their identity. It's you, when you criticise the politics I believe in, you no longer criticise the politics I believe in, you criticise me, mm. my person, my sense of virtue and good and evil. Which takes us back to America, um, part of why the, the politics is as polarised as it, as it is in that country. Yeah. How, how's Trump doing, do you think? We're a year into his presidency now. He didn't have good election results on Tuesday night in Virginia no. and... Um, New Jersey, but um, he's hanging on in there. I try to keep a personal rule to myself of almost never talking about President Trump because I find it's a vortex into which everything falls. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll see. I, I, I do gen genuinely think that we have to look at what is actually happening, and I do think on that some of it is too early to tell. It's too well, certainly early a big difference in terms of you judge what he's done as to what he said. Yes. It's, it's not a particularly controversial presidency. At yes, all. Now, absolutely. what he said, and I think the impact that he's had on, you know, if, if I was a, a parent in America, well, parent anywhere in the world, oh. and you have this guy with the way he behaves occupying yeah. the highest office in the land, is not a good example to your kids. I don't think that's a small, no. that's not a small thing. No, it's not a small thing. Mm -hmm. Although we have to remember that, that his opponent was part of the family that meant that every single child in the world learned what a blowjob was in the 1990s. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, when, when the Democrats talk about the coarsening of the discourse, I, it's hard to take. No, there's, no one's got an innocent... Uh, um, innocent in this. But, but no, I mean, I think that uh, uh, he's certainly vastly coarsened uh, the, the discourse. He's helped propel that downward spiral without a doubt. Uh, he, I think he did... Partly you would think, say, in Bill Clinton's defence as well, there was regret, there was some repentance it may have been fake but clearly at the time um, Hillary Clinton and he had a period of estrangement there was a sense that the wrong that was done was not without consequence whereas I think a lot of the wrong that Donald Trump is associated with just seems to lead to greater glory um, for him I think, and the yes. Republican Party which of course led the opposition to Bill Clinton um, during the period Lewinsky affair that you 
you, you, you talk of, um, has been relative, almost silent about Donald Trump's misbehaviour. Yes. Look, I, I think what's happening, there, there is a, in Britain and America, there is a clear um, jolt, and we're in the middle of the jolt still. And the jolt is a lot of people uh, who thought that the world was all going in their own direction, being told for the first time in their adult life that sometimes it doesn't, sometimes you lose. Mm. And they've got so used to basically having a continuation of a particular set of policies at whichever party was in power, that, that, that this has all come as a horrible shock. And for understandable reasons, they're screaming and shouting and kicking as hard as they can to, to try to stop that being the case. I think this is a very ugly period we're going through, but I think there are ways to see out the other side. Mm. Um, to a form of politics which is, is, is less bestial and um, even admirable at some point. Are, are there any politicians in the world at the moment that you admire, that you, you look and on some of the issues that you, you write regularly about, immigration, um, Islam, cohesion? Uh. Are there leaders at the top of their governments or emerging that you think um, I Someone don't, to, to um, admire, to I emulate? slightly take that view that politicians aren't there to be emulated. I mean, I mean, I, I do have that view that, that <laughs> very that, conservative. That I do have that view that anyone wanting to do it by the nature of wanting to do it should be cancelled out <laughs> from being allowed to do it. But uh, there are certainly people who, who, on particular issues, I admire. But um, political admiration uh, seems to me to be a very dangerous thing. I think that's kind of a no. That was an <laughs> answer to the question. I don't like political reverence. Mm. Don't don't vote. It only encourages them. It only encourages the bastards. Is that PJ O'Rourke? Or yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Or to put it another way, I, I loathe the culture of standing ovations. I call it the yeah. political partisan jumping up after another mundanity is uttered. But that isn't to say we shouldn't be engaged in politics. Obviously, we should. It's just we. I'm always trying to explain to people that I think we should keep it in its proper proportion. Douglas Murray, thank you so much for joining me today. Hopefully next week, um, Aisha will be back alongside me and we'll have a, another guest. Um, thank you for uh, listening. And um, if you do enjoy um, the Unheard podcast, please go to your regular podcast provider, iTunes or wherever, and not only subscribe to us, but uh, actually like us as well. And that helps get us up the charts, which brings us to the attention of more people. If you could do that, it would be hugely appreciated. Until next week, goodbye.